0: hello everyone welcome to the podcast you're here with us at hot hot hollywood i'm bill DePiro, and my co-host as always is father timothy danaher good to have you and me
1: both billy d friends forever enemies never we got to tell about us because we have been friends forever right i mean
0: we were in the crib together we are from beautiful ohio we know that steubenville is
1: grand i was actually reading about steubenville this morning everybody talks about mob ties right like dean martin yeah mob stuff that's common i had never read much about that there are some really funny like mafia websites i don't mean websites to like get involved but like reporting websites and it, it just lists a bunch of names re- just lists you're names. you're not recruiting no just names and <laughs> charges this guy was connected to this guy. He did these things. It gets repetitious yeah. after a while. <laughs> um, I want to give a brief just thought as we get started. Our first movie discussion, because we're going through the classics, right? We could discuss the schema, but we're, we're yeah. discussing La Dolce Vita. A, you're Italian, and I think you're going to just knock this one out of the park. B, Grazie mille. I don't know how to say that, but... You also are living the Dolce Vita. You're living the sweet life because you just woke up. I want to be 100% honest. We're going to podcast together. We're being honest. You, Put it out there. You're rolling out of bed. You're, you're like these, these aristocrats that we see in Rome in the film. And I like that about you because I, I was reading about you. Yeah. remember way back, early 2000s, Iron and Wine was popular. Folk band. Folk nap band. Not only folk rock household name (laughs) iron and wine and sam beam i remember i watched an interview with him he said he has like i think he has like four girls or something he wakes up um they go off to school and he's still half asleep and he says he does all of his songwriting while he's still in that groggy phase of basically He says closest to my subconscious i'm gonna get that day and he just plays stuff for like an hour and i feel like as a Maiden Voyage podcast episode on Italy about people just like you. I'm catch- I, I think we're catching you at the best moment. You're,
0: you're, you're in the Dolce Vita this morning. And to be true to the film, La Dolce Vita, is it a sarcastic title? The not-so-sweet life, after all? I think so. So let's let everyone know what our mission is here. We are two guys on Hot Hot Hollywood who want to revisit the classics and decide whether or not they're any good. We're starting with an all-time great, La Dolce Vita by Federico Fellini. It's a 1960 black and white film uh, score by Nino Rota. Excellent, he went on to do The Godfather's score. And this is basically, it's a three-hour film, basically follows uh, Marcello Mastroianni's Marcello Rubini. Kept the same name. That's maybe partially why it feels so real. I think too. You just said it's
1: three hours, and it. Can we just stop there? <laughs> Anybody that wants to get involved, because if you're gonna, you got to watch the movie before you discuss it. It is three hours. I actually thought the helpful thing is it goes by episodically. I mean, yeah. Let me let me voice to you two fears of mine. Let me just speak my mind. Yeah. First off, when you were sort res- of, you, thank you. You were sending me film lists, like, let's do this film list, let's do this film list. They both, Mm -hmm. they all looked kind of European and old, and I was like, I don't know if I can make it through this, but I feel first, my first sense of relief is this, is that we're going to actually form our own list, we're going to borrow from great lists of great films, but we're going to be the judge of those films, we're going to say hot or not, Um, and... I just, I feel a sense of freedom that you've given me just to say, let's form our own. Actually, I told you, let's form our own list, but I feel free yeah. that you accepted that. B, the three hours of Dolce Vita for me, because they're episodic, they're broken up. Yeah. Um, and because there's a change in scene, you're in a different place of Rome. Because it's just kind of like scenes from this journalist's life in Rome. Um, right. It went by quicker than I thought. I'll just say that. I got more thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's good. We can get into the structure here. It's basically, there's like a prologue where a helicopter flies a statue of Jesus past an aqueduct into the AOR section of Rome. Then you've got seven, like, sections that people have theorized it's the seven circles of hell or the seven hills of Rome or whatever other beautiful group of seven you would like to think Fellini was considering when he made it and an epilogue to end it. And I would say that you're right. It has a bingeable quality to it because you're following Marcello. There's not like a clear A story, B story, C story arc that you would see like three-act structure. Or at least it's very subtly woven if there is one. And it's, uh, I would say it's a fascinating, I mean, how about we start with the prologue? just the opening shot well let's start with
1: the prologue because i think it's provocative but i also want to just go on and say we could go through the structure but i also just want to jump to afterwards the question what provokes you because it's italians do that you know is that true
0: yeah they're yeah they're very and i think the truth is they're provocable like, oh. you can get under my skin, and as you've tried so far. All right, let's do intro, and then succeeded. we'll do... And succeeded. Intro, then, to provoking. Yeah, what did you think of Jesus' statue flying on a helicopter? I have a quick thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reading about it last night. Apparently, the Vatican strongly condemned the film, because they thought it was a mocking of the second coming of Christ. Because he was, like, flying in as this sort of, like, weird dangling statue what i'm seeing is like you've got this helicopter this like modern contraption flying in the statue to the vatican and you're passing like the ancient aqueducts of rome and then you're then they like fly over these girls on like a in sunbathing on a roof and it feels like kind of saying like the this life of uh in rome is this collision of past modern future yeah. I, I would just agree. That's my exact takeaway. I first just
1: looked at it and said, oh, like, cool artsy intro, Jesus statue flying over the city. But it's true is that that's part of their culture. The girls sunbathing and them waving from the helicopter, that's part of the culture. It's kind of that clash. I don't have anything to add. I think Yeah. looking back on it, that seems to be it. And you get those elements. I mean, let's jump ahead here, too. <clears throat> I. I yeah. This is not one of my favorite parts of the film. But one of the episodes um, deals with kind of this uh, apparition, apparent apparition yeah. to children of the Virgin Mary. I think that's the clearest point where you see here is Marcello, just sent as a reporter, and a bit skeptical. Then there's like these there, and it's kind of this clash also of technology. It's like there are these film crews mm-hmm. set up. Of course, the major commentary is a comment is a commentary on reporting and. Getting in people's faces, and there—that's all throughout the movie. But yeah. you have this film crew set up. These kids come out at night. There's these crowds waiting. There's—it's not sure if they actually see something, Mary in the tree or not. Yeah. But it turns into—I found interesting about that film—is it, it, it's not just—it's not showing that as false or fact. It's just saying that it's this whole mixed things The the tv cameras are on the spiritual thing and then his girlfriend who kind of just is like accompanying him whatever she also in the yeah. end like starts they start tearing apart the sacred tree and she takes a branch because she's praying for him to marry her to commit to her which shows like i think that's really that seems more about her in that context than it is just about this kind of like supposed yeah. apparition she feels torn between the two. I don't know
0: I do think like I rewatched a little bit of it, and the scene felt a little bit more intentional, like they the kids were kind of just like playing, and there was a lot of people like running and diving in um. And there's, like, a character before everything goes down. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter if they really see Mary or not. It's, right. Um, and it, it is interesting. And it kind of ties the prologue because I think that there's, like, Catholicism and, like, religion are all throughout this film. And I think that this was probably created in a time where Italy had always had this, like, super strong Catholic identity, especially Rome with the Vatican right there. And it was... And it's a little unclear to me how he views Christianity. I definitely think he has a criticism of it here. Um, But he's also criticizing the people who are kind of, like, skeptically standing aside. The, The, like, scene with the apparition... People just, like, absolutely lose their minds because they are so convinced by these children who are like, Mary's over here now. Now she's over here, and now she's right. over here. And, like, everyone's just, like, running, like, desperate. And it's... um But side by then, side with that is yeah. that... I mean, this is a
1: huge thing, too, we can
0: get into is, like... Side by side with that
1: is these reporters have kind of lost their mind, too. It's, like, to capture yes. everything... um I found that to be one of the major commentaries of the film, so both the clash of, like, mm. religion and modernity, but also just this whole culture of capturing it all. Um, it's, like, it's a big commentary on the press, anyway.
0: Yeah, that's where the term paparazzo comes from, or paparazzi, because that's the character, paparazzo, who's, like, the like, tabloid reporters, and... Uh, that's one of Marcello's big tensions, because he wanted to be in literature or poetry, or journalism or literature, and uh, instead he's been doing tabloid reporting. And, right. Like, hanging out at nightclubs.
1: You want to talk about him? I mean, just run through him. As, because there are other characters, but he's yeah. the main guy, you know? I I, yeah. I I kind of... Let me give you some general feelings. Hear me. Like, he seems to be this suave guy and i mm-hmm. think he is i mean he's kind of you know meeting up with this very wealthy girl at the start what is her name again um, madalena madalena and she's you know she's obviously not his girlfriend but they spend the night together in like that flooded apartment of a prostitute which is just i felt to be like artsy and strange just cuz they're yeah. yeah but then he like moves on to his 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 actual girlfriend Fearing his suspicion, you know, or she suspects him and and, and tries to commit suicide. Although what That's is all, it? Right That's right all right away, right away, you jump right into the, to the, how do you properly say that? There's some drama with the ladies and his commitments, and so I kind of like you see him as sort of a man in conflict of, um, I don't know. Not only you're talking about his work, but also relationships. He's and then, then there's the nightclub, and after, scene after scene, and riding in cars, and going to parties. Yeah, um, he seems to me like a sympathetic character, but somebody too that I don't know if this is mean to say, but is is trying to like find his place, trying to grow up, trying to. I mean, I yeah. think uh, I I thought the most fascinating scene with him because you get this whole picture of. His role as this guy in Rome. But I think the most fascinating thing for me, the most provocative scene, um, was when his dad mm. comes to town later on and wants to go out to a nightclub. And of course, his, what does he say? Like something like his, his dad was never around. And it's like really yeah. awkward for him to see his dad as a guy around nightclubs, dad as womanizer, dad as never home. And he gets, he kind of, Marcelo kind of turns
0: into a boy for, like, that 20-minute of scenes. Uh, yeah, he's, like, put on his heels because he introduces his dad to this woman that seems like he kind of, like, had a crush on, and then his dad goes, like, on his one night of freedom and goes just wild and ends up going home with the woman. What is the line? he Marcello asks his
1: dad and the girl because they're getting in the same car. He's like, you're Marcello,
0: really... Marcello, Marce... Mar- <laughs>
1: What is it, like, you're really going... He's like, you're really going to eat uh, pasta bolognese together? Doesn't he say that something? Yeah, yeah, It's like 2 a.m. They're, like, drunk
0: driving at 2 a.m.,
1: yeah. There was another food line just on the side when, after he takes his girlfriend at the beginning to the hospital she recovers she's trying to like woo him back because he's at work and she calls him up she's like why don't you come home he's like "Ah, i got some things she's like i'll yeah. wait for you we could be in bed he's
0: like i got some things she's like i'll make you some ravioli <laughs> i mean i i will say that this whole this might be jumping but there's the view of relationships in this movie are is so twisted talking about marcello his his relationship with i think emma is her name uh, so it's like you've got this first scene where he's got this l- bizarre love affair and then he comes home and his girlfriend or fiance has uh, uh, taken a bunch of pills and it and, it's, and he is like professing his love to her on the car ride to the hospital, also calling her crazy um, and then he promises to go home and she's gonna make him this ravioli and like throughout the film she's like feeding him and stuffing bananas in his mouth like he's a little baby That, that that's it's the car very ride. mothering yeah and the car ride to the apparition Right, but then he gets swept up in Sylvia who's this uh, like Swedish actress who uh that's probably the image you've seen of this film uh, them in the Trevi Fountain and and it's so funny, like in that first sequence where it's like you go from a love affair to having to take your fiancé to the hospital uh, to have her stomach pumped. And then you have him going off and having this fun, wild, romantic night with this Swedish actress. Both of them are sort of like bittersweet in a way. It's fun, but it's like he's out with this actress and she finds some stray cat and she's like we need to get it milk and he's just annoyed he's like where am I going to get milk in the middle of the night and he's just like and then when even when she gets in the trevi fountain it's not this really like amazing moment he's like what is she doing <laughs> which i thought was so funny cuz i would always imagine it's always portrayed on like posters as this glamorous moment where he is like okay i guess i'll do this I get like <laughs> I thought it was funny because he's he yeah he just like Trevi
1: Fountain's no big deal but she's sort of a tourist you know yeah. is all enchanted that's kind of the thing is like those living the Dolce Vita are not enchanted by it they're kind of like burnt out and wandering I mean even too they go to that place outside of Rome before they wander around the street they were together at this, I mean, they do some, she arrives on the plane, she has this interview, everybody's yeah. fawning over her, a guy literally, like, feeds her a piece of pizza when she's on the tarmac out of the yeah. plane, she's, she tours, like, they run up the cupola of St. Peter's to get a view over the city, but then there's the scene at the baths of Caracalla, like, that sort of... Like it's in like these Roman ruins that nightclub you you oh, yeah. you mentioned this too. who's this other actor? because she basically she's dancing, everyone's entranced, and Marcello and her fiance both just take a seat because they're like, we're not really into dancing, but who's that guy? Yeah. We'll get more into I, I like your point yeah. of, I want to get her, into the relationship the strength. actor:
0: Yeah, the other actor, he's Robert. Robert. Right. Yeah, he's like an American guy.
1: And he's like he's like her dance partner. He just barges
0: in, she goes wild, he goes wild. It's funny, he's like whispering sweet nothings to her. He's like, You're a mother and a sister and woman and a child. It was like this very bizarre kind of like What I imagine these Italian guys are like whenever they see a blonde woman come into the city. I mean, I studied abroad in Rome, and I think that there was plenty of that going on, except it was at Coyote Bar. I want to. We. I don't want to go into more details on
1: Coyote Bar. Uh, <laughs> I do think, though, it's fair to discuss like snippets instead of just like main themes, because we'll come back to like the relationship with women theme. But like, he yeah, that as then. a as a snippet, I have seen that because this movie is also about just like. You know, taking a quick scene, quick, it's just like a, yeah, it's kind of a confetti of like life snapshots. I, I, I do think there are certain people that have dance floor chemistry and don't have chemistry anywhere else in life, but it's totally magic. I have I've experienced this. Yep. We could name people, but it's like when they're on the floor together, it's, and everybody feels it. And then they're not really good <laughs> friends outside of that. It can even be years. I remember this too. Yeah, Uh, two college friends who at a wedding—like I remember them from freshman um, orientation—just kind of connecting right away. This is ten years down the road at a wedding. They haven't seen each other in ages, and it's just the same thing. It's like (laughs) instant magic. Oh my gosh! But but that's a snapshot of life. I'm glad it's in some movie.
0: You know. Yeah, it it is interesting. Mm just like these connections I don't know there's something about that reminds me of that like party they go to later on the one in that like castle outside the city and Nico from like Nico and the Velvet Underground invites him I didn't realize at first that it was her oh really yeah yeah I guess Fellini was just like sure yeah be in my film (laughs) that's awesome yeah and um I know, like, Pasolini, who's, you know,
1: who was, like, doing some writing for this different director, he also, like, invited a bunch of his, like, uh, friends into his films. I was just reading that, how he would have, like, these literary philosopher friends like Giorgio Agamben who's a, a kind of a well known continental philosopher was a close friend of his and he, he just features I think in like Gospel of Matthew he just plays Philip because he's like his friend now he, he just got a bunch of random villagers yeah. to play the other apostles but he's anyway <laughs> it's kind of cool to have like some famous friends just as a favor
0: be like can I please act yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah, and I mean they're... what a what a better person to like encapsulate this sixties sweet life of uh, and sort of what she ended up becoming. I mean, I bet she was probably around that level of fame too. But just kind of this luxurious um, castle outside the city where they go and he reconnects with Madalena. Oh, I forgot. There was another point where he calls Madalena when he's with Sylvia because he's, like, trying to figure out where they can go together. And she's, like, playing cards with her dad. And I, it, and she's like, Marcello, what do you want? Right. <laughs> and it's unclear. It seems like he's trying to bring Sylvia back to Madalena's house. Because he's basically and- wanting to have
1: a tryst yeah with a woman and he's calling a woman he previously had a tryst with to see if he can come to her place or her dad's place or it it's just a crazy overlapping i mean that that what's that, the plan here guy what are you going for and that's the <laughs> that's the whole movie i mean take that scene too where they later go to the house up north of rome and it's like that ancient aristocratic family um, there, too, I think you have, like, this lame party, which doesn't have much life until they go and explore, like, the ruins of the ancient manor house. It's like a ghost scene, yeah. and like this woman, they're having, like, a sort of seance or whatever, or sort of not— That's—who knows how real that is, just like the apparition scene. But I, I still think there's a commentary through all of this, like, there's real old aristocracy— of the, of the noble families blended with this nouveau riche, like these like, you know, the the celebrities, that the circles he runs in. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the old guard and the new guard trying to live the sweet life, the high life, this luxury. And it just actually is honestly more a series of attempts. It's more a series of miscommunications. It's more a series of snapshots, experiences. I just think it feels like confetti. And, and I'm not saying it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that's kind of his point. He's not just saying, oh, it'd be cool to make a, a movie with just a bunch of snapshots. I think he's saying this kind of lifestyle is, feels that way. It feels like a bunch of snapshots. It feels a little bit directionless. And, and it's not just one character, Marcello. It's, the whole, it's, it's all the characters together that yeah. they're all just kind of atomic in that sense of bouncing around. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, that is a good point. And I'm like, what is the thing that holds these snapshots together? And it seems to be an unhealthy relationship with his fiance, where he is being mothered by her and, like, he's mistreating her and just kind of neglecting her. Like, I remember there's, not to jump too much, but, like, in Steiner's party, that's where they both see... uh, a possible future for themselves. Marcello sees this man with all these cool friends and smart people and there's like a woman playing this guitar and he, and he's just like, I need to come here more often. I need to be around you. And then they have kids and Emma's like seeing this and Siner tells her, um, you'll be happier once you realize that Marcello doesn't care about anyone more than he cares about himself which she doesn't love and then uh, she asks Marcello if he wants to have kids kind of in the middle of the party and he just like goes out onto the balcony doesn't Cause it, respond because it's the only scene in the
1: entire movie really with children like in in, in a setting where you actually and it, I mean it's the, of all the parties it's not at a club it's not at some yeah. huge house party it's it is more like a living room it's a fa- it's a traditional family setting the two kids yeah. are in bed, husband and wife are hosting. she's her maternal instincts like are on f- full go mode then She wants to hold the kids because they wake up, you know they come and like see what's going on and she's, yeah. she's like and, and, and I, I think that's what's so tragic about that scene, and I'm not saying, oh, he should have gone that route and married her and started a family. I can't say that, but what's tragic is, yeah. is the miscommunication where that's the scene of her highest kind of peak of like wanting to be wife and mother and go that route. And mm-hmm. she says that to him, and he basically walks away and goes to the balcony. Not to totally reject her, but he just doesn't know. And even in talking to... Because he talks to Steiner on the balcony. And he, yeah. he, he is halfway... He's halfway there of saying, maybe I should go this route. Maybe I should stop trying to just live this societal life. And... But he—he's he, just kind of halfway.
0: Yeah, I—I feel like that conversation is crucial because Steiner basically events. says it's harder than you think. You might be
1: lured in by this, but Steiner also isn't yeah. just this like confident, like fatherly guy. I mean, he also has this sense of like, life is dark things are falling apart, society's changing, it's kind of meaningless. And, and, and hey, I see that today too, to be totally honest. I see people, I know friends, mm-hmm. who have children, a wife, have settled down, but in the confines of their own domestic place, they have a lot of thoughts tied up in society and where is the world going. So it, it's,
0: it's not like you escape that through yeah. family. I mean that is definitely true and then like Steiner at the end goes to tuck his kids into bed and he has this kind of like a soliloquy of um, where he reflects on how things are at peace right now but peace is like a trickster I think I forget exactly what he says Hmm. but like behind every peaceful moment is the threat of something worse so even in the peace and the quiet or in this idealized life that he has created for himself and it's definitely presented that way as if it's an ideal thing that he he is just like afraid which leads to probably the greatest tragedy of the film I would say Yeah. which is like the death of Steiner and his kids because he basically
1: he, kills them and then commits suicide and his yeah. wife doesn't know and so Marcello goes to inspect the scene and has to intercept her coming home on the bus, which is so... Paparazzi like, swarming. That's the worst scene of, of all the paparazzis swarming yeah. every scene of the movie when they swarm her. Yeah. It's just like orange juice and toothpaste, you know, don't go together yeah. in the mouth. It's like, oh, gosh. It's hard I, to watch. I, I, I don't know though, like that's one of those things that I think is the least accessible scene. Like I think it's the heaviest. But I think like I can easily analyze all the other things that happen, at least somewhat. When when it comes to like suicide and somebody facing meaninglessness and then acting on it, that's mm-hmm. kind of one of those scenes where the characters and the viewers it's one of those life themes where like we we are at a loss. It's it's just good to admit that. I mean, I think it's it, it has its place in the movie. So, like, me, like, to compare it to another movie briefly, and I don't want to just dive off into other movies, but the more modern one a few years ago, produced by Amazon, uh, Manchester by the Sea, which, did you see that or no? Yeah. Yeah, and, and heavy, because he accidentally burns the house down, his daughters die, and it's just kind of like... I At first, when I saw that movie, I'm just like, gosh, this... So it ends, okay, so he's he's grieving, he's carrying that, he never quite gets over it, that's the plot, and it's like, you know, things that happen in, that that movie taught me, and so does La Dolce Vita, that things that happen in life, like that, tragedies, mm-hmm. that people can't necessarily sort through, like um, I think they do, if they have a place in life, they have a place in film um, that they, they 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 should be represented some. I I, I do think yeah. they deserve representation in film, and and it doesn't mean that a film's job then is to say, "Well, if you're going to present it, you better explain it to us." And sometimes you can actually right. just present it because it's hard to explain, as long as you're human. But it's worth it's worth presenting as like an episode of life, I think. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely true. And even people that's that, like have, that even people like that have survived, like I've I've been in like counseling groups, hospitals, interfaith stuff, even people that that have had suicidal ideations and like have gone through that, can sympathize with that mindset and can even now live to like relate that to people, still you can't quite relate it. It's like unless you've actually been there mentally, anybody from the outside is like, I still kind of wonder how do you get to that point, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's powerful and it really speaks to a lot of the... I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about how it functions in the film. One is it, it serves to crush Marcello's ideals because Steiner was supposed to set him up with this guy who was going to get him into literature or journalism or like respectable fields. It also serves to show his worst, the worst side of his life, which is how awful what he's doing is, more or less being a paparazzi, like he's fighting him off and sort of like seeming like he's protecting them, but his guys follow him, you know. Right.
1: Um I think the second worst scene for me, which we could talk about in tandem with this one, is when yeah. he and his fiance Emma finally come to a head and they're driving alone at night in the convertible, yeah. out kind of in the outskirts of the city. And they're just yelling at each other. And it reminded me, too, that, okay, suicide's dramatic. Sometimes so is just yelling. Like, I was actually very uncomfortable to sit there and see them scream at each other back and forth. And it's... There's kind of some beauty to it. Like, he drives away and abandons her out on the road all night. But in the morning, with no further words, his car pulls up, she gets in, they go off together. They don't stay together in the end, but at least, like, he's Mm -hmm. civil enough to do that. But I, I kind of... To see that relationship, which is questioned, should he stay with his fiance the whole movie, to see that... Com- that kind of comes to an end in that convertible scene. They don't really move forward. And... Yeah. It's just kind of another episode of how sometimes things fall apart. And... I'm not sure if F- Fellini does more than present that. I mean... I think, obviously, Marcello... His relationship fell apart for a different reason than Steiner. Steiner's was more like his own mental game. Um, I think I think Marcello's more behavioral. He's in these patterns of behavior: how he lives, who his friends are, he's out at night, etc. Mm-hmm. But
0: those are both hard to. I found the convertible scene hard to sit through as well. It it, it definitely was tough because they were being like. There's a lot of mental games and a lot of um, kind of codependency it was a very codependent relationship where she's treating she's being a mother to him and then you know taking a bunch of pills and he has to care for her which brings them together but that's like that's not a way to hold a relationship together and then th- that scene is where he finally snaps and it's just like I don't want you to mother me I don't want any of this and she is calling him out for rightfully being like Awful to her. And then there's this weird game of like, this power dynamic game of like, get out of the car. You got to get out of the car. It's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And then she finally finds a reason to get out. And he's like, get in the car. And she's like, no, I'm not going anywhere with you. Just this. They're just like at complete opposites. It's kind of like the argument of a child, sort of just taking the opposite side of whatever anybody's saying. I am kind of curious. About what you think, like, Fellini's view of women is in this. Because it... I mean, I think he's showing them largely through the eyes of Marcello. Because I don't know if they're... I'm like... There's only one seemingly redeemable woman in the film. Or maybe even one redeemable character in the whole film. And and that's the like young girl at the cafe who's from Umbria it's like at a beachside thing as like Marcello's trying to like write
1: yeah and she's also in the last scene of the film i we could probably that's finish right. with that the last scene yeah um well we we could just follow the path of the conversation we don't have to structure it to the last scene i mean i mean that that girl kind of represents i don't know youth innocence I was kind mm-hmm. of nervous because, like, she's so young, and he's, like, kind of in the in the middle scene in the... Yeah. It's kind of like the halftime of the movie. He's just at a beach resort trying to write music at a restaurant, write at a restaurant over the music, tells her to shut it off. And he kind of takes interest in her, and I'm just like, hey, easy there, pal. But then it's simple, yeah. and she goes on wiping down the tables, and she appears at the very last scene after... So the last party, it, it feels like... Um, Every party goes until the morning. The morning always cuts short their adult nightlife. That's a theme throughout the film. The sun keeps rising on their lives that they wish could keep going on and life rudely mm. returns, you know. And that happens for the last time at the last party um with after the woman, you know, the older woman, the di- what is it, a, di- a divorcee party <laughs> celebrating her divorce. She does like a strip tease which gets interrupted by the owner barging in on his own house where they're having the party, like, you all got to leave, etc. cetera. Um, but when they pile out of the party and wander to the beach, of course, they mm. see, like, the fishermen in the early morning. Like, there's, like, their life. I, I, you were saying earlier, too, in another discussion, people see that as, like, a Christ scene. There, there's a little bit of Bible feel to, like, these fishermen in the morning pulling, like, this huge, weird manta ray fish out. and Yeah. But I I also see that whether we... I mean, it kind of... The movie begins with this Christ image, ends with this fisherman image. You could look for Christ figures. I I just see the contrast, too, in the human situation where you have, like, their lifestyle as these, like... Their their job keeps them up at night. Their job is kind of mostly social, and it's reporting on what's... Versus the job of, like, how different these men are. They're just, like, Mm -hmm. working together... Catching fish, but then you end seeing this same girl i don 't even know if she has a name, and he kind of like I found that to be really provocative like the he's looking at her, she kind of reminds him of i think what I would consider to be like what we humans are ideals the the, the 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 ideas in our head were born with that things should be that things should be the sweet life it doesn't we don't first think of that in terms of like martinis and uh you know 6 a.m. bedtimes <laughs> but but i do think like it, it's like returning to his first idea of the sweet life like here's this innocent kid on the beach with her friends and he instead is pulled away from her he can't really talk to her because some drunk lady just another one pulls literally mothers him and pulls him by the hand you actually think how infant like how childish he is he's mothered too by this like at the very last scene by some random girl he meets who's pulling him by the hand like come on the party's leaving and he kind of just like yeah. s- says hi to this girl i i think that girl represents i see the to summarize i see the contrast yeah. more between youth and adulthood more between innocence and like a a life of, what's the opposite of innocence? I wouldn't say guilt, but a life of debauchery. I see that contrast more than a male-female contrast. I mean, I think both men and women in this nightlife scene are kind of, they have different roles and different dynamics, but they're kind of equally implicated and they're all in search of the same thing. That's how I see it. Versus this girl, it's more youth ideals going back to the beginning.
0: I think that makes sense. Uh, I just looked up; the girl's name is Paula. Thanks so much. And she, in the initial scene where he meets her, he describes her to have the appearance of an an angel in an Umbrian church. Right. And I do think that there is some sense in that final scene of her representing something more. And to go back to the like view of women, it's that de- there's definitely a Madonna whore dichotomy throughout this. And he even, like, in his list of, of like, sweet nothings that he whispers to Sylvia, the actress, earlier on, I think he hits them all. But, so they're standing across this little stream. There's a there's a gulf between them. Like, right. the ocean water rushing in. Great he point. He can't hear her. There's, like, a, and she's trying to communicate, basically, we know each other. And kind of calling him to come to her. He sort of just, like, looks and shrugs and, like, waves her off eventually. Yeah. As the party continues down the beach. And I definitely think that there are some... I don't know. I think that there's probably something with, like, the divine comedy in here. I don't know that I could fully explain all of that. But it it feels like there is... She is calling him to a higher nature. And he is sort of stuck in a purgatory of sorts. Just playing these in these parties and like in the previous scene we saw marcello maybe at his worst which is like he's dancing with this woman who he calls like a farm girl and then starts like riding her around like an animal and like throwing feathers on her yeah, Like that's, very that, much dehumanizing that's her. like the sloppiest party scene the last party scene is the sloppiest a it's like
1: a divorcee with a strip tease, then this other girl he and he throws those feathers i that was also uncomfortable i was like he's just being drunk and cruel i'm not even sure he was drunk he was just like treating her like an animal and and everybody's laughing you know it's like yeah but 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 just a connection too i i I haven't thought deeply about this we're doing this now i do think that last scene on the beach is really meaningful the the gulf between him and this girl he can't hear her but it's not that she's totally an angel totally disconnected totally other because think of this I, I, the catchiest song in the whole movie is i looked it up earlier it was patricia it's like that 60s mm-hmm. italian soul song by perez what was his name i looked it up yeah uh, perez prado he has those, like this cha-cha song called patricia now the girl in 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 when when they first meet in the restaurant halfway through um halfway through the film, she's playing that song and he tells her to turn it off, but she, like, loves it. That song Mm -hmm. comes up again when the divorcee at the party requests, I'm only going to dance if you play this song. So, like, even though there's a disconnect from this girl, it's same human life, same period, same society, like, that girl likes the same music as the partiers. So it's it's Mm kind of saying, you know, we're a common society, but look where growing up can lead you yeah and i'm i I love that conclusion i'm i'm actually okay to leave it as this question of just like it, it, it is a movie i think in the context of that little girl it's a movie of growing up it's not just like hey here are some scenes of like 60s bourgeois people it's also like them you know when he meets his dad he feels like a little kid he when he sees the girl, yeah. he starts to be drawn back. Even when he says goodbye to his dad, when his dad has like that semi heart attack and is like, they have to rush and get medicine. When his dad takes the taxi, it's the only time where you see Marcello really getting like he actually like, puts out his hand to say bye to his dad as his dad mm-hmm. leaves like a little boy, like you're it's leaving like running again after the taxi, so yeah, abandoned again. And it's not cool or casual or suave or however you'd say that in Italian. It's
0: it's childlike. Yeah. And it he is doesn't so have many of those moments, you know. Yeah. He he really does repeat the flaws of his father in a lot of ways. The way he treats his own fiance. And then when he's untethered to anyone and is like single, then he becomes like an absolute monster. <laughs> um and and still at the end we hope for some redemption for him that he can Hold on to the goodness that he had experienced previously. Correct. Yeah. I
1: agree. I think we're seeing eye to eye. That's that's exciting, yeah. right? Look at that
0: similar interpretation. He, feeling it. Nobody in the movie even did that. Here, here,
1: here, here. <laughs> yeah. Here's another thought too. I just because um, we're we're like at the what mark here. You're the leader. I'm your guest. What are we at? We're at like forty five minutes or so. Um... For the sake of time, I thought maybe just like do a quick, like mental review. Um, here are some things we don't have to dive into fully that stand out to me. Um, yeah. I, I want to make a quick comparison because there's a film that came out a few years ago by Terrence Malick. Malick's directed a number of artsy films, and people find him mysterious and deep. He, he directed a film that was set in Hollywood called The Night of Cups, and it's Christian Bale. I, th- I think it's very clearly based on, on this movie. As I see older films, I see how much Malick is a student of these old films. It's a mm. string of women, Christian Bale's going through and, and, he, and he's struggling with relationship stuff. There's also these helicopters overhead a lot, which which are kind of a, a nod towards that opening scene. Um, and also kind of these flashbacks in Night of Cups to the past, to his childhood. So you don't have this girl standing in place. That's becoming clearer to me as we talk about this. I don't want to run down that, that avenue but another just my, my last thing that I thought too and, and you can have more takeaway thoughts but t- to me one of my big life themes that I meditate on independent of this film is just how does prosperity affect us so like how are our attitudes today our views familial political religious like how are those affected by just having a little bit more of the dolce vita a, a good life the sweet life like a, we are a more prosperous society than almost anyone else in history and this is sort of this film is at the beginning of that mid 20th century Um, and I'm not saying that luxury prosperity those can be extremes compared to like A Good Life which is more I'm not trying to get theoretical but I, I do wonder about the push for more the push for excess the push for better I think this movie is not the commentary but a commentary on where what some of those effects might be. Maybe it's a little bit dramatic and Italian and trapped in its own dressing, trapped in its own plot. But mm-hmm. I see it as a theme that I've been meditating on independently and I find totally refreshing that frankly, 80 years ago, or no, sorry, 60 years ago, here's this guy who's kind of in that mix saying like, yeah, I got some questions about this. How how good is this route we've taken of kind of like what we our, our vision of a good life? And I don't know much to... I want to end with this. You could you could do your spiel, but I was thinking too. I don't know much about Fellini, and you probably have looked him up more. Like we're talking a lot about the movie, which is right, but I don't know much about like his life, his views, etc. Yeah,
0: I mean, I but, know. That but wrap wrap, some wrap up as this, you will. Yeah. Wrap up as you will. Yeah, you know. Um, very quickly, I know that this is coming after the post-war period in Italy which was very tough and difficult and then there was an economic boom I think in the 50s in Italy then there's a lot of people who had money and are living lavishly and you have this like social society and this is also like I had watched some of the other Fellini films that more directly discuss this but this is in the shadow of Italy just going full fascist a generation and and I think that there is a, a reckoning that Fellini's doing with what what is this new direction where they're becoming more secular, more uh, more just kind of like I guess debaucherous almost I think that's somewhat what the ancient Roman ar- architecture, and presentation is supposed to hearken us back to. Hmm. Um, and then there's also just like film wise, he's coming after a neo-realist tradition, uh, where things just supposed to be presented as realistic as possible. And the film he makes, I think two years later, eight and a half really kind of like smashes that. But I think that you can see a little bit of it here as well. And some like surrealism and more metaphorical, um, moments but i think right now here's where we decide was this a great film or not does this make it into the hot hot hollywood canon oh i think it's hot i mean yeah for me is it hot is it hot hot
1: <laughs> i think it's a hot <laughs> is this hot our rating skill i think it's our sky propose the other scale of you know does it's like a it's like food. Does this belong on the dining room, the kitchen table or in the trash? You know? There we go. I, I think it's a dining room table type of film. I don't think it's just a light, nice little thing. I, I think it's yeah. I think it was more serious and thoughtful on the on society than I'd first bargained for. I think for three hours and in black and white, which I struggle with both of those, it was surprisingly I like realism. I like I struggle with mm-hmm. the more surrealism. Um
0: Frankly, I'm I'm really glad I watched this film. Glad you made me. Yeah, I'm glad it held up because I'd watched other Fellini films and felt like compelled by them. Um, and this one was really interesting. It To me this is a dining room film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a hot hot film. Uh It it does it tackles some big issues. And then I think one of the things we didn't really talk about was it's just shot so gorgeously, right. and I mean we're we're recording this in the context of quarantine, and one of the reasons I originally wanted to watch it was kind of I just wanted to feel like I was in Rome for a bit, and I think you get some of these moments, and you there is an allure and a, like a beauty to it, and like Mastriani is like cool as hell, and. He's hanging out with all these beautiful people in this like cool world. You see the downside of it, so it's like you both get the kind of like glitz and glamour combined with the lethargy. Yeah, and just like what is the you understand the point, point or like you wrestle with these questions. So
1: I I'll, agree we'll with that. In, stamp of approval, and we're gonna make a list. So it's number one on the list because <laughs> it's it's the first one. We won't have to revisit the list every time um, yeah, I agree with the whole like I think sometimes movies um, you're very happy you went there like it's true it's not just quarantine, mm-hmm. but like to be in Rome in these circles in the sixties like it was a cool view into that, even if it was yeah. somewhat fictionalized I think like it it's kind of like a shared experience. I want to just say to you as my friend from from birth from our from the, the days in diapers after all these years I still think you have a sound mind
0: and, uh, and Tim I have to say you've kept sharp
1: I never you heard haven't those lost words it yet. have you ever you said those words sharp. side by side have you ever said kept, those together
0: kept sharp uh,
1: maybe <laughs> yeah that's I think it's experimental and great all right. We should uh, let the people go. And I want to, just as we thank our sponsors, we thank Katie DePiro um, as our first sponsor. That she's not only the inspiration, she's she's the motivation saying you should do a podcast, mm-hmm. but we also were looking for her financial support to arrive by mail sometime soon. And, uh, and, and he, as well, Andrew
0: Danaher, AD time himself. Right
1: we thank him for for living his own sweet kind of life you could say bye you're the host i'm your guest all right thank
0: you to tim for joining me we are hot hot hollywood i hope you enjoyed your time Arrivederci.
1: that's good man real good